With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the GM Shuffle. I don't want to hear anything about it. He's healthy. He's 1,000% healthy. Our game plan is going to be all about they're healthy and we're healthy and we're going to go play. Period. End of story. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. And Michael, we are down to four teams, and we will get to the conference championship previews and all that stuff coming up here. But first, we got to start with the ankle that has been hurt around the world. Everybody's watching to see what's going on with Patrick Mahomes ahead of this week's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He practiced in full on Wednesday. I didn't expect that. I thought he was going to be maybe limited at best. But uh, what do you make of what we're seeing now as everyone's kind of going all Zapruder film with the the press conference walk-off and him jogging on the practice field? Yeah. Well, there's no umbrella, man. We know that. And and nobody's heard shots from the grassy knoll. You know, we haven't seen that yet. I mean, look, I, I went back and and I I uh you know, I went back, I watched the Jacksonville game where he got the ankle, and then I watched the next game against the Raiders where, mm-hmm. you know, how he played in that game, which was magnificent. I mean, I think it was you know, it was a twenty eight to ten route. You know, he called, Andy Reid called 44 passes in the game, knowing that his guy had a ha, allegedly had a high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you do that if you have a high ankle sprain, but he did. You know, and the guy throws for 443 yards. So I, I don't know how to I don't know how to quantify. It. I don't know if he's a bionic man. Here's what I do know: a lot of guys in the league, and I know a few players have done this during the season. They they fly to Germany or they fly to Canada, and they get treatment because there's treatments outside this country that are not approved by the, F, by the uh, FDA, 
that, that, that helps them in some situations. Don't ask me what they are. I don't know. <laughs> I know one player flew to Germany on a Tuesday day off, got treatment, and came back. Wow. So, like, I, I, I don't know how this is all working. I don't know how it all goes together. Uh, but I know that, that it's, it's seriously, you know, watching him yesterday, he looked a little ginger to me. But I'm assuming, as I wrote about, he's going to be fine. What, what I think is interesting, because of all this kind of detective work, I went back and watched the championship game, and we'll break the game down later, but I think this is an important note. I think what was really overlooked in the championship game, I mean, if you go back and watch it, there's the beginning of the fourth quarter, right? You know, we had, this, we had the play where he throws the ball in the first half. On, with five seconds to go, he throws it out in the flat mm-hmm. to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill makes the catch, and they, they lose the – uh, the chance at the field goal. They struggle in the third quarter, and then in the fourth quarter, at the f- third and three in the fourth quarter, he gets hit by by Hendrickson and Hill, and I think he got concussed. Nobody's going to say this is true, mm-hmm. but from that moment forward in the game, from that moment forward, he is five for nine for 38 yards. Five for nine for 38 yards. He gets sacked three times. He fumbles on one of the sacks. Remember, the third and nine from the nine, which was started at the five, he got sacked on the play before for four-yard loss. Then he gets sacked again. He fumbles. Tooney recovers it, or else they don't even tie the game. Right? So he gets sacked three times. He runs twice in that situation, but he runs out of bounds, which stops the clock and allows Cincinnati a little bit more time if if they actually scored the touchdown. He throws and and he throws the interception. Like I don't think he was healthy in that game. I think from the fourth quarter on, m- my belief because he threw three passes in the in the overtime that I've never seen him throw before. Like the, it was far and above what it was. Now was it that hit? Was it another hit? I don't know, but it looked like that. So how the how he play? I think he plays with the ankle. Yeah. Do I think he could play if he's concussed? I think ultimately no, but I, I think that's irrelevant. I think he's going to play, and I think if you're Cincinnati, you can't even talk about it. Like, I don't even want to hear about it. He's healthy. He's going to go. To your point, he looked like a completely different quarterback in that fourth quarter and overtime of last year's AFC Championship game, and guys have had bad games and all that stuff. Like, it's expected it's not every now and then, but for Mahomes compared to his typical standard, he was well below that in the fourth quarter in overtime, and they ended up losing that game 27-24. to 24. I mean, the drive in OT, because I think people forget that the Chiefs got the ball first, and all the complaining about the whole overtime rules and all this stuff, it's like Kansas City right. got the ball first in that overtime, and Mahomes was just dreadful on that first series, eventually throws the but interception But he was dreadful in the down. fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, he was dreadful in the fourth quarter. He's got, he's got a first and goal. With, remember, in that fourth quarter, when they get the ball back down 24-21, Right, he starts that drive off, and basically he throws five-yard pass, a five-yard pass. He throws an eight-yard pass. The biggest play of that drive was he threw about a four-yard pass to Kelsey in the seam, and Kelsey ran for eighteen yards. They basically ran the ball in that drive, like they, the, there was something wrong with them in that drive. Like they knew it. They got first and goal at the five. They ran that inside shuttle pass on third and two that Kelsey barely got the first down on. Remember? Mm-hmm. And then they had first and goal with the five. They run it with McKingan. He doesn't get it. On second down, he's scrambling around again. You know, and typically he makes plays when he's doing this. He doesn't get it. So it's so second down, he gets sacked for nine yard loss. So now it's third and nine from the nine. And he goes back again. They rush three. 
and he gets sacked again and fumbles, and they kick the extra point, yeah. then he throws three incompletions. To me, like, I don't care what anybody tells me. I watched that game again this morning, and, and I think he got concussed on that. I really do. And on that third down that you're talking about, I, I don't think goal, he would ever admit that. No, no, that he can't. I don't think he would ever admit no, that. Yeah, that he can't because like, the league would investigate the, the organization and all that stuff. There's no way you can admit that. But with that third down play that you're talking about, third and goal, I mean, he held the ball for forever. If, if I remember correctly, like he was just dancing around back there, three-man rush, and then eventually gets sacked and fumbles the football. So it just looked horrendous from what he was doing. And, and you would have thought he would have thrown it out of bounds, and yeah. then he fumbles. I mean, like yeah. he, he, I don't think his mind was working like we know his mind works when he's healthy. That's all I'm saying. I mean, because he played uncharacteristically in the fourth quarter that entire game. I don't think he's going to play. Now, I do think this ankle – is going to if I'm Zach Taylor. Here's what I'm telling the team. I'm telling I don't want on on Tuesday morning on Wednesday morning staff uh, team meeting. I'm saying I don't want to hear a fucking word about the ankle. I don't want to hear anybody talking about it. I don't want to hear anybody. I don't want to hear anything about it. He's healthy. He's a thousand percent healthy. Our game plan is going to be all about they're healthy and we're healthy and we're going to go play. Period. End of story. Because it, it, it don't give anybody an excuse or a letdown. Believe he's healthy. Mm. But here's what I will say. The way that Kansas City has protected against Cincinnati in the three games, it hasn't been great. And the edges of Cincinnati have won against the tackles of, of Kansas City. So if if he isn't 100% with the ankle in terms of quickness and plant off of it, we'll know quickly. Not to make you a doctor or anything, none of us are experts in that field. What percent do you think he's at? I mean, he's... Practice in full. I, Obviously, he was hobbling on Saturday. I can't, e- I can't even imagine it. Like, if he has a high ankle, like, high ankles are four to five weeks. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he's doing this. Then, then he didn't have a high. Like, I don't know. I'll ask you. When Pollard got hurt, mm-hmm. I thought Pollard's hit was less than Mahomes' hit. I mean, it looked like Just a high visually. ankle. Pollard. Yeah. Like, it was, it was, I mean, it was a classic, like, guy pulls him down, and it has, like, the weight underneath of his legs there for Pollard. And right as it happened, I was like, damn, I think that's the dreaded high ankle. Apparently, it's even worse for Pollard since he has the fractured fibula. Yeah, I mean, it was but, worse, right? It was the fibula, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for the YouTube audience, we're watching the practice footage there that was shared all around the world. I think every single person in the Kansas City media was taking footage of Mahomes at practice, as they should, since that's the most important storyline of the story. Yeah, And they knew it, yeah. And they knew it, you know? And obviously, I don't know. They're not gonna. They're not gonna give him a painkiller to practice with. I don't think. No, I doubt. That. You know, and so he went. He went out there with it. So, I mean, my sense of it is, is, is. He, look, I think it's. I think handicap in this game. He's healthy. Period. End of story. Just handicap it that way. Pick your winner based on strength versus strength. Based on the. The previous three games, based on breaking down those games, based on Cincinnati's offense, Kansas City's, all those factors, don't worry and, and, and don't 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 handicap the ankle. Mahomes, so he was practicing in full, and for those who don't know the different variations and the practice report, when a guy gets injured, you have to put them on the practice report the next week. They're leading up to the game. There's did not practice or did not participate, I should say, limited participation, and then full participation 
Mahomes is listed as a full participant, and what that means is a player is 100% and able to do 100% of a player's normal repetitions. In general, this category should be used for players who missed or could not complete the prior game due to injury, but have returned to participate fully in practice the following week. It should also be used for a player who sustained an injury in the prior game that affects his performance, but was able to finish the game and participates fully in practice the following week as in the example on page two. So that is from the NFL's injury report policy from back in 2017. So Mahomes, while he might not be 100%, he did take part in 100% of the normal allotment of reps. Now, I suggested maybe he did it at half speed. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like he could do those yeah, reps I mean, at half speed and be a full participant technically, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think it's... I, I think it's – look, I, I'm just going to assume he's healthy. I'm not going to argue mm-hmm. with it. I'm not going to – I don't know how it happens. I really don't. But I, <laughs> I, I think he's healthy. Maybe Mahomes has Wolverine blood. Who, know, who knows what's going on? And he must. I he mean, must. or he went to go get treatment in Canada. I mean, you know, get a private plane, take off, and go to Canada, get treatment, come back. I don't know what they do. You know, Big Daddy thinks they're rubbing CDB oil over it. I mean, I know he's got a medical degree. Big Daddy's the only human being on planet Earth, right? Think about this. Big Daddy's the only human being on planet Earth that can run the Packers. He can run the Knicks. And he has two children. One of his child, one of his, his oldest daughter, Alyssa, she's got, not only does she have a doctorate, she's got a PhD. His, his second son, his first son, Nick, is an emergency room attendant, graduated number one in his class at Temple. Brilliant kid. Wow. Brilliant, right? And, and he's running a, ho- a hospital emergency room in Pittsburgh, and yet when it comes to prescription prescriptions, mm-hmm. Big Daddy thinks he has the answers. Now, he's got two of these people in his family, but he thinks he could do it. So Big Daddy thinks they're going to rub CDB oil all over it. Well, they must have learned it from him, you know? <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far uh, from the obviously. tree. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. I mean, I don't know how the hell they – I mean, God knows what, what they would have done without him. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Big Daddy, the, the knowing all, uh, we absolutely—he's back love from that. Hawaii now. Oh, he's H- back. Hold on, hold your asses. I mean, he's back from Hawaii. Lafleur could be in trouble right now. He's going to start getting—you know—he'll start start getting it. <laughs> I, I hope Hawaii treated him well. He was able to get away from the Packers and all this stuff going. Yeah, I bet he was—he he was probably having gummies per day, a gummy a day. I bet he was having. Well, maybe that's why he knows all about the CBD oils. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of vacation, I don't know what Tom Brady's been up to. I don't think he's been on vacation. He's been on his podcast, the Let's Go podcast. And here's what Brady had to say when Jim Gray, the co-host of his podcast, asked him about his future and when he might make a decision on when he returns to football. Tom, you're leaving everybody guessing. Uh, and you've said you'll take your time. Do you have any type of a timetable as to what you might want to do uh, regarding your football career? Jim, if I knew what I was going to fucking do, I'd have already fucking done it. Okay? I'm taking it a day at a time. <laughs> I love it. I, sent you I guess you get liked by the question. question. <laughs> you're scratching. It's only oh, the question scratching. that everybody wants to hear. You're scratchy. Scratchy. <laughs> I appreciate your asking. Thank you. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> You think you appreciated him asking? <laughs> you know, it's the question that everyone's going to ask, and kudos to Jim Gray for asking him, because if you're talking to Tom Brady, why wouldn't you ask when he when he's going to make his decision there? But do you think this ends up going into February or March, or when do you think Brady ultimately decides on if he wants to come back to football, and if he does decide to come back to football, where he's going to play in 2023? 
Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he's on his own timetable. I think he's probably got to clear his head. I mean, look, he's, you know, he's gone through a traumatic season on the field and off the field. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody can really speak to, to how long it takes for you to figure out, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? You know, like, I, I think it's all going to come down to get away, kind of take a reflection and go from there. I don't think, I think he's right. I think when he's decided, he'll decide. I think, but for the most part, I think he should probably worry about his personal life now that he has some time to do that before he jumps back into whatever he wants to do, whether it's come work at Fox or whether it's keep playing. And we talked about it all throughout the season. When you watched Brady, it didn't look like his skills had diminished. Like his arm was no. still alive. He was still accurate when he had time in the pocket. So this is just going to come down, which is crazy to say because he's 46 years old, but he's still playing at a pretty high level. It's going to come down to whether he just wants to do it and he finds a situation, I think most importantly, that he feels comfortable in and, and can at least thrive in that system. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the other, the other thing. He has lost his courage. Most quarterbacks lose their courage. They, they, they lower their eyes. They, they kind of worry about it. You know, he hasn't. So, you know, do I think he has three good years? No. Do I think he could play another year? I think it's year to year, and I think that's mm-hmm. because it's year to year. He's going to take as much time as he needs. I would think so. Well, the Indianapolis Colts here, Michael, are taking uh, as much time as they need to fill their vacant head coaching position. It was the interim head coach, Jeff Saturday, applied for the job, and he's not. He's done one, and he's done two interviews, I should say, for this head coaching of position. Of course, because why not? He completed that second interview with Ursay and the brass there, and I just find it hard to believe that they're going to hire him, but that's what all the tea leaves are they're saying. Hire him. And, and, and I think and, they're going to hire him. And I- your, your boy. <laughs> or over at the uh, at the four letter network, <laughs> Tan Orlovsky oh put out this tweet, and this tweet to me I think is let just, me hear it. Let me hear <laughs> it. This is creme de la creme right here. He said tons of good candidates, but I know some facts from when he took over as head coach, meaning Jeff Saturday. Rushing yards per game went from thirtieth to twelfth. Rushing yards per attempt thirtieth to tenth. Pass protection twenty ninth to eleventh. Plus five in points per game. Led three games at the half. Led five games after the first quarter. Not saying no brainer, oh, but did some good stuff in a tough spot, Michael. <laughs> oh, I think it's perfect. I think he should take over as the OC. I think it's perfect. I mean, if he thinks these stats are important, then God bless him. I mean, how do you have credibility when you think those stats are important? He got his ass kicked. He's in over his head. If you can't see that as a commentator, then you're then you don't know what you're looking at. I mean, you really don't. I mean, if you just want to shill for the guy. Then go ahead and shill for him, but like for first quarter matters. I, I mean, I, I mean, I see a lot of bad teams lead after the first quarter. Football's a four quarter sport, you know. Pass protection, 29th. Maybe they got rid of the ball quicker. Did they? At the end of the day, we're measured on how did we play and did we win? And they weren't close in a lot of games. I mean, the Giants, as bad as the Giants are, mm-hmm. destroyed them. I mean, he's better off tweeting. Look, until they get a quarterback, I don't know if you could evaluate any head coach in in, in Indianapolis probably would be a good tweet be a hell of a lot better than that i don't know what shit he's looking at but then again every time he talks i have no idea what he's looking at we, he and i watch a completely different game i'm not saying i'm right and he's wrong i'm just saying he watches a different game than i'm watching like i'm trained a certain way i don't know what his training is other than just saying shit but he's but what he sees and what i see completely two different games you know, my favorite part of the tweet is the not saying no brainer, but did some good stuff. And it's then what are you saying? 
<laughs> like, what, what are you saying? What are you if, saying? If, if, you're I, shilling I, yeah. for your guy. <laughs> Either say you think he should get I mean, the job say, or don't say anything at all. Just say you want to be the quarterback coach. Just, just basically say, I want to be the quarterback coach, so I hope he gets the job. Now, what happens if, if Saturday in the park gets the job and don't hire this guy? Like, seriously, they, they Big Dan, why aren't you have a job here? Just saying, you know, just saying. Just saying, just say it. I mean, look, you know, I mean, come on, man. Is there any way that it's not Saturday as the head coach for the Colts? Uh, I, I, I can't imagine. I really can't imagine that. Elliot just texted us, mm-hmm. the New York football Jets – have hired Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator per a source. I, I just saw that report Thoughts, from Tom Pelissero. You go first. <laughs> you go first. I mean. You go first. Is this another coup to uh, to lure Aaron Rodgers? Because we know that Hackett, and everyone's making the connections of Hackett got I the like job in Denver. Went on that. Yeah. I like where you went on you, that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, because everyone says Hackett got the job in Denver because Denver wanted to lure Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay. Rodgers signs back with Green Bay. Then Hackett's like, well, we have Hackett, I guess. Or that's what Denver said. Now you see the New York Jets, who people are starting to be kicking around some things that would Rodgers want to go to the Meadowlands? Well, maybe you bring his buddy, who Rodgers speaks highly of, and Nathaniel Hackett, to go ahead and be the OC. That's where my brain immediately goes because it's not – Anything he does schematically, that's going to wow me. Right, he's a West Coast. He's a day one West Coast offensive coach. I've said it all along, right? I've said it all along. And and so, you know, I mean, I think that that's the case. And look, if that's going to, you know, I mean, obviously, Robert saw something in that Denver offense <laughs> that he liked. I think your point's well taken. You know, look, let's face it. I mean, as as the play caller and the head coach, maybe the job was too big for Nathaniel. Mm -hmm. You know, when he was in Jacksonville, he had that one season with Blake Bortles where they were really good. But midway through the next season, he got fired. So, and then he went to Green Bay. And we know, according to Big Daddy, that LaFuck runs everything up there. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, I don't know. You know, I I think this is going to be, you know, one plus one is going to equal two. You know, and the Jets seem to be advertising that they'll trade as many draft picks as they can to get the guy. Well, we know that they're probably going to move on from Zach Wilson, the guy they selected with the number two overall pick. They say uh, they're not. They well, say they're not. I mean, okay. they can look, say they can say whatever they want. If you bring Rodgers in, if you bring Rodgers in, right? You have him as you, let let Rodgers he Rodgers teach him for a year. Maybe Roger. You know, yeah. I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, Rogers and Wilson are close. I mean, it sounds like like Rogers has kind of been a mentor for Zach Wilson. Now I don't know how that's going to hold up if uh, Rogers joins the team and see that. But hey, Joe Namath said that Rogers can uh, unretire the number twelve there for the New York Jets if he wants to come on down and wear gang green. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But uh, Hackett going to the Jets to be their offensive coordinator per sources that according to uh, Tom Pelissero over at the NFL Network. But the Jets aren't the only AFC East team. I that think has the bigger hire is going to be there at the. I think the bigger hire at the at the Jets is going to be who do they hire for their OC offensive offensive line job. See, mm. we all get caught up in we all get caught up in the who's the coordinator, right? Yep. Well, look, Kyle has the, the the let's go through the final four teams, right? Every one of these final four teams have really good offensive and defensive line coaches. I mean, Frank Pollock's done a wonderful job with yeah. Cincinnati when some of these backups are playing. So you know. I think that, and look, Philly's line coach, you can't, I mean, there's no way you can get him. Mm-hmm. Nobody will, he won't ever get out. He's been there through the administrations and he's going to stay. Yeah, Jeff right? Stoutland, I believe is the. And then, yeah, Stoutland, his name yep. is, right? And then, you know, uh, 
the the line coach at Chris Forrester. I mean, he's always been the Shanahan's line coach. I mean, and he went through that personal problem down in Miami, and they they brought him out there as a consultant. They let John Benton go back to with with Salai so they could make they could make uh, Forrester the line coach. So that's that that's there, and you know, and so I think when you break down these teams. That that's the key, and so who's going to be the line coach? Because that's what the Jets need is to get that offensive line to play at a higher level. They need the quarterback to play at a higher level, but they need that other one too. Well, ESPN's Adam Schefter just reported that it'll be former Titans offensive line coach Keith Carter who will be the Jets' O line coach and run game coordinator. Per sources, does that name do anything for you? Well, there you go. So you got you're going to take the the outside zone. That's what they want to run. And that's what that's what Nathaniel wanted to run in Denver. You take the outside zone, which they run in Tennessee. You take the run game off of his plate, and now he just throws throws runs. So it's a West Coast offense with with outside zone. That's what you're going to get. You're going to get some element of the West Coast. So there you go. If they don't get Rodgers, do you think that this still works here for the New York Jets with Hackett? Like, are no, you? I mean, I, okay. I no. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> that was quick. No, I mean. <laughs> I mean, look. I mean, look. Nathaniel did a wonderful job with Blake Bortles, mm-hmm. but I'm not. It's gonna be that's gonna be hard with this guy, you know. And all the conversation about does he work hard, does he not work hard? I don't know if he misses meetings or not. I think this evaluate the performance on the field. Yeah, you know, like does he play smart? Does he look like he's studied the team? Does he look detailed? No, no. Like at some point, if you're prepared, you understand the game. So don't tell me. You know, he works hard when you watch the tape and he does it. Yeah. I mean, just from a fundamental standpoint, everything just looks so sloppy. Like, just like the the footwork is atrocious. And yeah, it's just nothing ever looks the same down in and down out, which tells you that he's not really paying attention to the details there. So uh, we wish Zach all the best of luck uh, out there in, uh, in the Meadowlands. But maybe they get the four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers, and they can reunite with his buddy Nathaniel Hackett there. I'm sure they'll be excited about that because that's a team. If you give them a quarterback, they got some good skill position guys to throw to, so maybe the Jets can get off the ground They and did run in it. Denver, too. They did in Denver, too. They had good skill guys yeah. in Denver, too. Yeah, they did. I mean, De- look, Denver's, Denver's, Denver's offense was every bit as talented as this Jet offense, but they, they couldn't score because they got to get the quarterback. Yeah, well, maybe Rodgers, uh, hopefully he's got a little juice left in the tank there. Uh, he played he played all right this past season, I would say. Uh, the, the Jets aren't the only AFC East team that has a new offensive coordinator. Uh, your old stomping grounds, New England Patriots. Bill Belichick has hired his old buddy, Bill O'Brien, who recently was the offensive coordinator for Alabama the past couple of seasons here. But this is what we've talked about in terms of alignment and New England going back to the well with a guy that already understands what goes on in that building and how they see the game of football. Uh, what do you make of Bill O'Brien now going back to Foxborough? You know, there, I think it, it's you know when I was working at CBS, Femi, I was uh, they I, I, my first I got fired from the Eagles after the draft after we drafted uh, Trey Thomas, Jeremiah Trotter, Alan Rossum, Ike Reese. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys that went on. Brandon Whiting, you know, I got fired after that draft for Tom Modrak. He came in to ru- he came in as the GM and fired me, so I'm out of work. And CBS is just getting football back. So s- somebody tells me you should go talk to CBS. Maybe they'll hire you as like an insider. You can do that. There were no jobs in the league really, so they hire me as an insider. I'm not supposed to be on the air, and so I g- I'm feeding George Seifert. 
Brent Jones and Marcus Allen, along with Jim Nance, those four people are, are on the set. And I'm feeding them information about what's going on in the league, talking to different people, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, George is a, just a really good guy, but he's not a TV personality. So about midway through the year, you know, they put me on the air. They make me the insider. And then they, then, they, then they turn around, and George is kind of really bored, and he's going to get the Carolina job, so he leaves, and then they put me on the desk. So I went from being nothing, never done TV before, to doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can remember this. This is how it pertains to what we're talking about. So Nance tells me this. He says, look, I don't want to burst your bubble, but following George, no matter what you do, is going to look really good. And so following Matt and Joe Judge, whatever Billy O'Brien's do is going to look pretty good. Okay? I will take the same advice Nance gave me and apply it here. <laughs> it's good. I mean, Billy's a professional. Excuse Billy's me, done this before. Billy knows how to do it, you know? It's going to be Bill Walsh's I mean, offense. You know, I, I mean, it's going to look – the players – he's got uh, – here's what happens for any young coach listening to this oh, podcast. God. When players ask you for an answer to a question and you don't provide it, you've lost the player. Mm. You've lost the player. I mean, Joe Judge is sitting there as the head coach of the New York Football Giants, and he didn't have an answer. I mean, if you're Joe Judge and you're watching the Giants win nine games, win a playoff game with essentially the same roster, okay? Essentially the same. Okay, Evan Neal's not the right tackle, but – the line's playing at a higher level. The quarterback played at a higher level. Bar- everybody did, right? Y- y- you got to take responsibility for that, right? You got to say, hey, I didn't do a good job because when the players went to you for an answer, they didn't have it. It's the same thing here. Like, the only way you get better as a coach is to accept responsibility. Like, and people say, well, you're really hard on coaches. I'm, not, I'm just being honest, I'm not being hard. Like, you got to accept responsibility. Matt Patricia's got to accept responsibility. Like, it wasn't, like, I tell, I, I, whenever I give a talk, you know, I always talk about the Ohio State-Michigan game being sold out in the year 2050. Not because the, and the kids are going to play in the game aren't even born yet. It's the mm-hmm. uniforms they go to see. Like, don't make yourself bigger than what you are. That's what kills people. It's the, it's, it's the Charlie Munger theory. You know, when you you know, if you have 110 IQ and you act like you got 150, you're impossible. But if you have 110 IQ and act like you got an 80, you're going to be really great. And sometimes I think these coaches, I think when Joe took this, I think that's kind of the mindset. And I think that look, this is the move they had to make. I mean, I've been saying it, it was as obvious. There's no way you can watch New England tape and say that was a well-constructed offense. You can blame Mac Jones, and I think that's fair. He certainly mm-hmm. deserves some of the blame. But fundamentally, if you believe what I believe, which is players, coaches, and scheme, the the coaching and scheme wasn't good enough. Now, who they hire as the line coach, I think, is going to be another critical hire. You know, it's it's something that's so true that you mentioned with the players. If you ask them the questions and you don't have the answers, you lose them. Because players, they talk about it all the time. And you'll hear these guys as analysts discuss it. They say, we can see through when the coach doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Like, like, wait, we can easily right. see and, through that because they know what it's supposed to look like. And if it doesn't look like something else, it's 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 clear that it's like, all right, we're screwed. <laughs> we, we have a guy that's clueless right. because we know the scheme more than, than right. he does. Now, now all the, right. oh, sorry, I wanted so to ask you. So let me you. explain that oh, to okay, you. Yeah, so, yeah, explain it. Yeah. Go ahead. 
No, no. Well, I just, no, you asked me the question. Go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, though, because I'm sure there are some of the detractors out there that'll be like, well, here comes Belichick hiring another person from the New England scheme here and not really going outside for ideas. Do you put any stock into, all right, maybe this has kind of gotten a little stale, or is this really just that it needs to be this sort of a fit for them to have success? I think what they'll do is figure out what they have. I think that there's certain coaches that are uh, – the great Bill Berman was telling me this the other day. He listened to our pod on Monday, and he's like, you know what it's like? He said it's like chefs and cooks, right? Mm-hmm. Certain guys are chefs. Certain guys are cooks, right? And the cook can prepare the meal. The chef knows with, based on the recipe and has to do it that way. The chef, you can give him anything, and he can make something really good. I mean, Artie Bucco was, was, was a chef. You know, remember that scene where he's, he's, he's got – well, you, you didn't get to this episode, mm-hmm. but he's got the shit kicked out of him by, by Benny, and he's got his arm in a brace because Benny put his hand in the tomato sauce, and, and he's making rabbit based on what he has in the kitchen. You know, he's a chef. I mean, they can create something from what they have in the kitchen. Same thing with coaches. That's ultimately the way that you become a good coach is what do I have? How do I make this work? And I think that's what Billy will do when he gets there, and it'll be kind of tied together. It'll be prof- – will it be elite? I don't know. You know, I don't think Alabama's offense was elite, but mm-hmm. it's going to be better than what they had. And if the line coach is better and Billy's better, they're going to be better. There's no denying it. There's going to be, they're going to be no better. And so – but what happens is when you steal plays – when you sit there and borrow a play from a team and you don't understand when the play breaks down what, what you need to do to fix the play, mm-hmm. right? When you don't understand that and then the players say, well, what happened? And you don't have an answer, you lose them. So Walsh hated play stealers. He hated it because he said that, that he, that's why you can't steal the play. Because if you don't understand how the play breaks down, you're not going to be able to give the answer to the players. Yeah, and that's one of the things that everything looks good on a chalkboard, but if you don't actually understand the concept behind the the, the why and all that stuff, then it, it can easily come back. The and methodology bite you is critical. Yeah, you got to understand the methodology. You know, you got to understand it. You got to know it. And if you don't, you you look like the fool. And so you've got to be able to give answers. Like I think that's going to be the big thing about the NFC Championship game is who's going to have answers. It's a clear upgrade, upgrade in my opinion. There, going from O'Brien to what they had last year with uh, Joe Judge and the crew calling See those plays. See Jim Nance's quote. Yes. See that, Jim Nance's quote to Michael Lombardi. That's that's an excellent story. By I the way, I learned so much on that show. <laughs> I learned so much on that show. I can remember one time I'm sitting there doing a segment, and and I'm sitting there doing it, and I'm talking about all the GMs shuffling around in the NFL, mm-hmm. and Nance grabs my arm, and I'll never forget it. Greatest advice I ever got in my life. He grabs my arm and says, Michael. Let me tell you something. This shit is really, really important to you, and you love it, and I understand why. But the little old lady who's sitting in Des Moines, Iowa, watching the game and watching this show, she cares about three things. Who the coach is and who the quarterback is and can her team win. She could give a shit about the GM. (laughs) And she's right. And he's right. And ever since that day in 1998 when he told me that story, I've always believed the GM needs to stay in the background. That's that's excellent advice. The great Jim Nance will be on the call for the ASC oh, he's championship the best. game. The wordsmith. He most definitely Hello friends. Is. Hello friends. Golf season's back up and running too. We'll get Nance uh, every weekend now here on out. Uh, Mike, let's take a, our first break on this other side. We'll do some exit interviews for the teams that uh, got bounced out in the divisional round. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's do some exit interviews. Four teams exited stage left in the divisional round, the Bills, Cowboys, Giants, and the Jaguars. Let's start with Buffalo. Super Bowl expectations, they were the favorite for much of the year. Another disappointing season as it ends in the divisional round. Yeah, I, I think Buffalo had the greatest thing ever happen to them. They got the shit kicked out of them. They got humiliated on their own field. And through humiliation comes reason. You know, mm-hmm. Churchill said this, and I believe it. You know, when he, all through the 40s, when he was sitting in Chartwell, building those brick walls around his house. And if you ever go to London, if you ever go to England, you need to go to Chartwell and see his house. It's incredible. But he builds all these brick walls. It was his hobby. You know, he painted and he built brick walls. And he wrote every week or two about the perils of Hitler in Germany and what was going on in the 30s. You know, all through the late 30s, he's writing, and he saw the danger in Germany. And, and when he finally got elected in office, he said, fear does the work of reason. Fear does the work of reason. And the, and the bills just got fear put in their face. So now there's going to be a good chance to reason with them. Mm-hmm. And so now... Brendan can sit there and say, yeah, look, I know we got a quarterback and we're, we're the only team that, that besides Kansas City that's in the Final Four that paid their quarterback and we haven't gotten there. So we're going to have to figure out, we got a quarterback, we've paid him, and we're limited to the cap. We're going to have to figure out how we do this, how we're going to player develop. But, but we got to be able to, A, adjust our scheme so we get bigger on defense, B, find younger talent in the defensive front. We got to find a blue chip defensive line. We got to mm-hmm. find one. And it wasn't Ed Oliver the other day. And it's not the two kids we drafted, you know, Rosario and, and Boogie Basham from, yeah, not those guys. We got to keep mm-hmm. finding guys. And that's how we're going to get this better. And then number three, I think we really got to sit Josh Allen down and say, okay, we got to run an offense that's, that takes some of, the, some of this loose play skill off your plate that we can actually operate with. And that starts with building a better offensive line. I mean, Roger Saffold, I haven't thought was a very good player for a while, but everybody keeps signing him. I don't know why. Deion Dawkins, you know, is a good player. Is he an elite player? I mean, he might go to the Pro Bowl. I don't really give a shit. The right side of the line, I mean, I think it starts up front. Yeah. It's just taking a little bit off the plate of Josh Allen, I think, is how you go about this offseason if you're the Buffalo Bills. How about the Dallas Cowboys? I have two questions for you, Michael, and the Dallas Cowboys. The first one 
can we put to bed all the Mike McCarthy head coach stuff and all that stuff? Like, he's going to be the guy. And then the second one, can the Cowboys win with McCarthy and Dak Prescott as the head coach and quarterback? And they win big. I think what they have to do is I think I think there's a feeling I have that I know Kellen Moore's up for the off the head coaching job in Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, it's him, Frank Wright, or or uh, or or Steve Wilkes, and I think, but maybe by the time we're done this pod, they may make an announcement. I think it's down to Wilkes and and, and Reich. I heard it. Reich is the leader right now. I don't okay. know. It's kind of hearsay, so you got to be careful. But I I think that McCarthy would rather have Brian Schottenheimer calling the game. Really? I think he'd rather have Brian Schottenheimer call. It's closer to his to his than it is Kellen Moore. I think they you know five coaches are off the staff. I mean if the offensive line coach. Uh, Joe Philbin's gone. Skip mm-hmm. Pete's gone. I mean, they fired a bu- they didn't renew a bunch of coaches' contracts. Yeah. So that and, and some of those guys were McCarthy guys too. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. Philbin's a McCarthy guy. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. To me, I think if you're a Dallas fan as you are, and John Goulet and Dave Ross and every Bill Bell, Bill Berman, I think the reality of it is is look, we got this is going to be Tony Pollard's team, and we've got to be able to build a team around Pollard. Again, we gave Dak all this money. But we're going to have to find young talent because we paid him. He's not going to take a pay cut. But we can't win if we're devoting all the cap to a guy that makes too many mistakes. And there's a reason he makes too many mistakes. Kellen Moore doesn't get blamed for his mistakes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 the coach does have to assume some responsibility when the quarterback makes too many mistakes. You got to know what the quarterback's good at doing and what he's not. So I think that's the way to go. I think this their window is tight. They're going to have to pay Makai Parsons, right? Yeah. Th- their window is tight, and they're going to have to make the run now. And I think they're going to have to make it. They got to re-sign Pollard. They're going to get rid of Zeke. They got to redefine their team, redefine their scheme. Yeah, or at least bring Zeke back on a much cheaper deal. They can't have him be on the cap hit that he's currently at because that's not uh, conducive to team building. They're not going to. He's coming. He's coming back cheap. I mean, yeah. you know, I think is, he wants to be that's there what too. the cap forces you to do. The, yeah. co- the cap forces you to make hard decisions. I, th- but I think they want Brian Schottenheimer to be the. Co- I really do. If, really? if I can't prove this, I just all hearsay. But I think that Bri- I think that's what they want. If Kellen Moore doesn't get a head coaching job, do you think they would still make a change at OC? I I kind of get this. I I mean, I think McCarthy wants Schottenheimer. I think that's wow. kind of like if to me it's like I think that's the case. Yeah, because you know he, he's. I he's just been... think to me, look, my problem with Kellen Moore is simply this: is he doesn't he doesn't incorporate the game like we talked about three oh eight to go in the game. You uh-huh. start the drive first and ten. You can't punt not because analytics says you can't punt. You can't punt because they got the best inside the twenty kicker. The guy's got thirty two kicks inside the twenty. The best the Eagles only have 17 as a team. So we we're if we get this ball back with no timeouts left, we are going to we are going to have it at the 10 yard line, the five yard line. That's what are the what's the odds of us doing that, scoring eight going 95 yards versus going for it on first on fourth and ten. But we shouldn't have to go for it on fourth and ten mm-hmm. because McCarthy should have said to the coach, look. We got to get a first down here. We're not punting. Let's get a first down. Let's call something. We get four yards, so we're not in the fourth and ten. Yeah, it's gonna be a really 
really interesting development if they were to make a change at OC there. Schottenheimer has been like a, an analyst consultant on the staff here this past season. Uh, hasn't really been calling anything, so uh, if they make that move, that'll uh, definitely raise some eyebrows in the Metroplex. How about the New York Giants? The Giants we saw Saturday night, big gap in the talent. How do they kind of uh, shorten that gap here and then compete a little bit going in the 2023 season? I think if you're the Giants, you got to understand how do we? how are we so bad and what do we have to do to avoid becoming bad again? Yeah. And I think if you're the Giants, you have to be really careful to guard against your your the bias that permeates through their organization, which is the we drafted them, we love them, mm-hmm. the sunk cost fallacy. I think they've got to be really careful. Do I think they should sign Daniel Jones back? Yeah, I do. Would I sign Daniel Jones at a certain number? Yeah, and I would be a hard ass about the number because I think if you look around the league, as good as Josh Allen is. They can't get to where they go because they're paying him too much money. Dak Prescott, they can't get to where they're going. The Eagles are paying Jalen Hurts no money. And they can build, they built the team around a quarterback with, on a rookie deal, right? Mm-hmm. Your team that you built around the quarterback on the rookie deal sucks. You could play the Eagles 10 times, you're going to lose by 20 to 10 times. It's a fact. That game wasn't close. The game in the Meadowlands wasn't close. The only game that was close was the, 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 the game that screwed me up was the game at the end of the year when Davis Webb played. Mm-hmm. Where the Eagles had a win, but they really, you know, they they kind of tiptoed around it. So for me, the Giants, to me, the, if I'm John Mara running the team or, or, or Joe Sheehan and all those guys, Brian Dayball, I'm saying, look, we have to evaluate our, we have to do a better job evaluating our own roster. And we've got to put the right value on our players. If the Giants were in the, the home lending business, they would have been in foreclosure because they extend loans to, to players well and above. The Giants have – the reason they went five years for, without winning is because they paid good players like great players. Mm-hmm. You could never overpay a great player. You, when you overpay a good player is when you get in trouble. And that's the, to me, that's the – the Giants have to say, we won with Joe Judge's roster – because the coaching was really good. Mike Kafka, the line coach, Brian Dayball, Don Martin, everybody. We won because of that. If we don't improve our talent level, next year we'll be 6-10. We'll be 6-11 if we don't. Because we're going to play a harder schedule. People know how we're playing. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to change how we play. Yeah, we'll add a better player here and there, but it isn't going to offset who we really are. And we'll see if they can keep that coaching staff together. Mike Kafka and Wink Martindale both getting head coaching interviews. We'll see if those guys remain in the Meadowlands. Finally, the Jacksonville Jaguars, a hell of a second half of the season there as they win the AFC South. Now building on Trevor Lawrence heading into year three. How do they kind of take that next step up and try to join the Cincinnati's, the Kansas City's, and the Buffaloes of the world? Well, first of all, if I, was, if I were Doug Peterson, I would buy, I would have Jim Collins come in and talk to the team. I would, who wrote the author of Good to Great. Mm-hmm. I would pay whatever it took to get him to come in there, and he would be the first guy that would talk to the team and, and understand exactly what, what it's all about, how you make that leap. Because what often happens is companies that go from shitty to good, they think the next step is easy. It's, it's like lifting weights, right? Yeah. You know, you bench press you know, 275 pounds, and then one day you lift three, you get to 300, and you're like, okay, now I'm getting to 350. And all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. You know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a little bit more time. You're going to have to keep plateau. going through it, right? Yeah. Hit that plateau, right? And so good to great kind of covers that, you know? And so, and I think he really has to do a good job of understanding what we need, 
how we have to play to win, and then just keep adding players to fit. I think adding Ridley was a great trade. If they get him in, get another receiver, re- keep rebuilding the lines, get better on defense. But they have to maintain that hunger. I thought what Trevor Lawrence did was incredible, was shaking hands with the players coming off the field. They're going to need that leadership, and they're going to need that that competitive stamina that they're going to have to be ingrained into these players that we haven't done shit. We haven't done shit. Like we got to get to great. We're not even. We're just good. We got to go further. It's not going to be easy either because, you know, you have uh, Mike Grable no. and that Tennessee team. They're going to rebuild and, and try to get back to it. And then who knows what Houston does? Maybe they get a quarterback and it's one of these quarterbacks ends up popping and being a really good player. Uh, so uh, they're going to have those teams gunning for them there in that AFC South. All right, let's take another break here and we'll watch the tape on the other side talking Bengals defense and our buddy Lou Anarumo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's continue our Watch the Tape segment here with the Cincinnati Bengals defense. And a lot of talk about this Bengals defense is about the defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, and some of the adjustments that he makes throughout the game to trip up these elite quarterbacks here. And When you put on the film, Michael, what is it that makes his Bengals defense hard to play? Well, I think he does a really good job of adjusting the game plan out. I, I think he, he, tr- he basically allows you to kind of have first and second down, he's not going to give up a big play. You can run the ball on him on first and second down. He's not going to give you a big play. He's going to play his cover two stuff. He's not going to engage in a man-to-man, you know, but he's going to try to get his ends to win the game, right? Hendrickson, you know, he's going to have to get Hubbard, those guys Mm -hmm. to win the game. I mean, they're a size-speed team all the way. And then when third down gets involved, then they try to play some man-to-man with their blitzes, and then they attack your protections really well. Uh, but they do a good job of condensing the game, and they do a really good job of trying to take away your strengths as it goes along, as the game is going along. And ultimately, I think their defensive front is the key to what he's been able to do. So I think they're not complicated by no means. They're not like, oh, my God, what is he doing? They're smart. They they basically take the approach, look, we're not giving you a big play. You know, we're going to play a lot better in the red zone against the Chiefs. So the first game in the, the first game in 04 in 2021, week 17, they were they were three they allowed 3 for 4 in the red zone. The the game in the playoff, they were 3 for 5. And then last year they were 3 for 4. They don't they don't shut you they take away. Now one of those one of those drives in the red zone that they didn't score on was the throw over to uh, to Tyreek Hill. And then the other one that didn't count because they gave up the ball on this one, right? So that's a turnover at the end of the half. But the other one was the ball got tipped. I mean, Kelsey's wide open. The ball gets tipped. I just think he's patient. I think his patience is, look, you're not gonna, I'm going to make a play. I'm going to keep pressuring you and see how long you will. And I think he feels like Andy isn't going to keep running the ball. So he's going to keep playing cover two safety. He's going to play cover four, cover two. He's going to let him have some runs. And he's going to allow his tackles, and I think his tackles, Reader and Hill, have played really well. This front has played very good against Kansas' offensive line. 
the ends have played really good against the tackles, and Reeder and Hill have played good against the guards. Tooney didn't play in the in the game this year. He was hurt. Mm-hmm. But he played in the championship game last year, so they're going to need him in there. But they do a good job of, of rushing, and they do a good job of containing the quarterback, and, they're, and, they don't, and they have mental toughness. I mean, they didn't blink. First and goal with the five in the championship game, they didn't blink. Yeah, that, that, that's the remarkable part because I thought they were about to get ran out of the building and it, based on how that game was going. And he plays nickel. He plays nickel all the time. He understands, right? He understands that, that, that Kelsey's a receiver. Like, he, he doesn't even pretend to believe, you know, he knows Kelsey's a receiver. Mm-hmm. So when they're in t- 13, which is one back, three tight ends, right? He knows that's really, you know, that's, tw- you know, that's tw- Kelsey's a receiver. So he, he's in nickel the whole game. He, like, he doesn't get out of nickel. And he'll give you the runs. He's going to give you some runs. But he's, but he's saying to himself, we're going to play better situational football than you are. You know what's funny? He was uh, on your boy's show, Pat McAfee's show, uh, earlier this week, and McAfee was asking him about the ring around the rosy play that the Chiefs did against the Raiders in the final game of the regular season. And he said, hey, what are you going to do if the Chiefs go ahead and do that in this game? He says, I don't give a – to paraphrase, it was pretty much, I don't give a damn what they're going to do. We're going to make sure we cover Travis Kelsey. Like, like that's, that's that's first right. and foremost. Like, like, they can do all the eye candy and all this stuff or whatever, ring around the rosy and whatever they want to do, but – we're going to make sure we know where 87 is, and we're going to go ahead and cover him because that's the guy that can kill us. Right. And, and last year in the championship game, he had to deal with Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. So he, had a, he, had a, he was double. Whenever time he played one rat, he went to double. He, he left Kelsey alone. He left Kelsey one-on-one. Now, he's got a double, now he can double Kelsey. You know, and so it, it, it's a real problem. I mean, and, and he's really good in game, and I think he's a really good chess player. He doesn't panic. You know, and he and he doesn't get caught up. Oh, I gotta, I gotta have to give up. And they they don't give up very many big plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing. When you play cover two, when you play in that quarter, when you got a split safety, you know, you you're encouraging the team to run. You know, you're encouraging them to run. You're saying, okay, you got you got a seven man front. We're not two gapping, so you're a gap short. Run it. And the Chiefs kind of get bored, and he knows the Chiefs will get bored of running it. So he's trying to wear them out and patient, and then he knows the. The, the key plays that Kansas City want to run when they need to play. It's going to Kelsey. It's going to sprint right out. I mean, they for all the window dressing of Kansas City and the, that huge play sheet, they're all looking at it. You kind of know where it's all going to go when it matters. Yeah, it's going right to 87. That's their guy there. Why do you think that he's not getting head coaching interviews here? Like, like what's going Because everyone keeps talking about that this week. It's like, hey, Luana Rumo has been awesome the past couple of seasons, but nobody wants to interview him. None of the owners are looking for Luana Rumo. Uh, why do you think that he's being uh, overlooked there for head coaching positions? I just think to me, he doesn't fit the profile, right? I mean, he's not the offensive coach. I don't even know how. Let me look how old Lou is. I mean, so does, I don't he, think does, he, does he need a new haircut? He like, what's going on here? Like, what do we. I mean, I, I mean, we'll get Barbershop over there to yeah. cut his hair if we had to. <laughs> we, we, barbershop we can't to. wait to get a pair of scissors in his hand. You know, I mean, he was born in 66. I mean, he's only, what is he? He's only like 53 years old. Yeah, I mean, no, 50, right? 56 years old. 56 years old. Yeah. But, you know, he's Nobody kind of a guy that, you know, I mean, he was the interim defensive coordinator in Miami in 15, you know, 
I mean, look, the guy's a Long Island guy, went to Wagner. Probably, I think I might have played against him in college. I mean, come to think of it now. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's all. We got to get that tape. We'll, we'll dissect that during the offseason. No, <laughs> no, I think I think he graduated. He's older. I mean, he's – no, there's no way I could have because he, he – I'm 63, so he – yeah, I'm a full oh, class. Oh, yeah. So, no. But yeah. – I mean, I'm old, but you know, like, look, the, I think the guy doesn't come with any fanfare. All he is is just a really good. He's like to me, he reminds me of Chuck Knoll. Nobody really knows who he is. He just does a hell of a job. Yeah, the, the owners, I guess, they don't want to peek behind the or peek underneath the hood to find out what he's doing in some of these games to to get this defense to play so well. But hey, he's doing a hell of a job. I mean, for he Cincinnati. was on the Giants' coaching staff. He yeah. was on the Giants' coaching staff. I wonder. Uh, give Zach Taylor credit for finding him. He was on Honestly. the Giants' coaching staff. Yeah. Right. And at 18, and then then he hired him as the DC. Nobody knew who he was. You know what? Because looking at Lou Anarumo's background, he was in my because wasn't Zach Taylor in Miami as well? Maybe they might have crossed over. Maybe maybe that's where they crossed paths. Yep, Yep. that's exactly it. Because yeah, Zach Taylor was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Dolphins in 2015, and then Lou Anarumo was in Miami from 2012 to 2017. He was the interim DC in 2015, but he was mainly the defensive backs coach. So yeah, they had some crossover from their days in Miami. So that's how he was able to find out that hey, this guy knows what he's doing. Nobody's getting him for a DC. Let me go ahead and hire him, and uh, it's. A home run hire for Zach Taylor, and I'm sure he's thrilled that none of these owners want to interview him to be a head coach because right. that probably means so, another year with them. In week 17, week 17 when they lost, they had nine. The, the one thing I took is that the 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 Bengals do a good job of controlling the football. So week seven, they Amaroma holds them to three points in the second half. 2021, mm-hmm. they score three points in the second half. Last this year. They only had eight possessions in the whole game this year, the game they played. They only had eight possessions. They, they scored 13 points. So in three games, he's held them to 19 points in the second half. <laughs> That's pretty damn good, man. <laughs> That's pretty damn good. We're going to take our final break on the other side. We'll get to who's going to win on Conference Championship Sunday here when we return on the GM Shuffle. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, it's moment of truth time now. We've got to talk conference championship games, and it starts in Philadelphia. I'm sure the folks out where you are at, Michael, are absolutely excited to oh, see this man. Eagle. Uh, have, have they greased yeah. the poles? Have you walked outside? Are the poles being greased? They're greased. Okay, they're, they're ready to go. They're greased. They're ready, they're ready to, to go. go. They're well, ready to go. <laughs> I'm sure the Niners will be ready to go as well as they head into the city of brotherly love to take on the Eagles. Philadelphia at our show sponsor, DraftKings. Two and a half point favorites, total sitting at 46 and a half here. This is the matchup we've talked about all season long of these two teams. If they were to play each other, it would be an absolute war in the trenches. And now we get it on Sunday. How do you see it playing out? You know, it's funny. These two teams are are so much alike, style different, but so much alike. Their offense fuels their defense. You know, when you look at the Eagles, you know, in the terms of what they've been able to do, how they've outscored people in the second, and really, it's the second and the third quarter. The Eagles, I think, have a plus 100 and something uh, point differential. 
both teams have to play from in front. They want to play from in front. They're such in a hurry to get the lead. And as simple as it sounds is whoever can achieve that, you know, is going to make it harder for the other team. I think it's going to be hard for San Francisco because if Philly does and alters, if you're going to play Kyle Shanahan, you can't show him the tape of what you've done pretty much. You're going to have to modify and alter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Change your front. Change your coverages a little bit. Don't let him lock himself in. Do what Dan Quinn did. Get him a little bit off balance and play the shit out of first and second down runs. Play the shit out of first and second down runs. Get him into third and ten. Force them to become a drop-back team because that's when Brock Purdy will now have to participate in the game. The whole goal is how do we make Brock Purdy participate? He hasn't had to. They played from in front. They, they've been able to dominate from in front. So to me, I, I think because of that, you know, I, I think the matchup favors Philly slightly because they can be a little bit unpredictable with their scheme. San Francisco is not going to be unpredictable with their scheme. Philadelphia is mm. going to know what they do. Now, in fairness to San Francisco's scheme, if you go back and watch the game, so if you're D'Amico Ryans, you've watched the Bear game in Week 15 a lot mm-hmm. because they run the offense that you're running. Okay, They kind of run that a little bit. They run that wide nine, kind of get up the field. You're watching the Colt. You're watching that offense. You know, The Colts held them to 17 points. They gave up 141 yards rushing in the game. So if you're doing that, and if you, you watch in Tennessee to see how they're going to attack you in the passing game. So to me, you're going to a combination of those three games. It doesn't do you any good to watch New Orleans because that was Gardner Minshew. It doesn't do you yeah. any good to watch Dallas. That's Gardner Minshew. So you've got to pick out the games where you run a scheme that's similar to what they do, and then you've got to watch the teams that play really good against them. Arizona in week four, five held them to 20 points. And then you've got to craft your game plan against them. This game's going to come down to which offensive line can pass protect the best mm-hmm. in a drop-back game. I think that's Philly. And that's where I think the game will be won and lost there. And I think the weakest of the trenches, if you put the four, the offensive line for the Eagles and the offensive line for the Niners and the defensive line for both teams, those four combinations, I think that Niners offensive line is the weakest of that bunch. And not to say that they're bad, well, they're w- but it's just the other three are really good. They're only weak when they have to go to drop back. Yeah. They're only weak when they're a drop back pass team. They're not weak when they can run their outside zone and they can they can do that. And this would be a big game for Jonathan Gannett. How he adjusts this mm-hmm. game, how he handles it. I think he's going to get the Texans job, actually. So I think this will be a really good – if you're Nick Cesario, this is a really good opportunity to watch how he adjusts it, how he handles it, how he handles Kyle, and then the in-game stuff, how that all kind of plays. Mm-hmm. Because Kyle's going to work on certain things that he thinks he knows he can get him in. And if he changes and alters the front a little bit, or he plays a double-reduced front, that he's t- you know, or how he wants to take away the run, I think that's going to be the key. And then the whole goal for Philly is we got to make Purdy play from, from behind. we got to make Purdy have to be down 10 in the fourth quarter, make him drop back, and then see if this, this line can hold up. If you're San Francisco, you're saying we got to play from in front, we got to control the pace of the game. We got to convert every third down and short that we can. And we got to be great in the red zone. And we got to limit them to 25, 26 minutes with the football. Now, the Niners' run defense is elite uh, with the front that they have. Warner's flying around the field. Greenlaw's really fast. Can they slow down this Philly rushing attack? And if they do slow it down, Philly's passing game, where are you at with this team against this Niners' secondary? 
I, I think Philly comes out and throws it. I think that's where you got to take advantage of San Francisco. Look, San Francisco's the best tackling team defensively in the league. Yeah, they're they, really they don't good, give man. you yards after contact. They're really good, right? They don't give you yards after contract contact. They can one-on-one tackle in space. They're really good. And they're big enough inside, right? I've said all year, the San Francisco defense has the formula to attack Philadelphia. They're big inside with mm-hmm. Armstead and Kinlaw. They can hold up in the run game with with the three inside, and they can set the edge from the outside with all that outside passing game. I think this is going to be a game where Philadelphia takes the same approach they did against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. We're going to throw this thing early to get the lead. We're going to come out and try to make some plays in the passing game. We're going to run a lot of play action in the first quarter to try to get this lead. Our goal is to score twice in the first quarter, to take what Seattle did and score. You know, we watch Seattle do it. We can do it. You know, we're going to throw this thing, and mm-hmm. we're going to run Hurts a little bit, but we're going to really try to make do our damage with running and yards after the catch. Goddard, A.J. Brown, Waddle. A Smith, I mean. Who wins the game? I, I'm leaning towards Philly. I really am. I think Philly is, is – uh, I think Philly's just the just has a little bit more diversity within. I think it's a great game. That's one versus ones, right? I mean, yeah. how do you not like it? The line will never get to three. Nobody's going to give you a field goal in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think Philly will. I think if Philly can can make Purdy have to, at some point, Purdy's going to have to participate in the game, right? At some point, he's going to have to participate in the game. You know, I, I, I mean, John Hussey's the referee in the game. Sixty nine <laughs> and fifty five for the home team. <laughs> for whatever it's worth. <laughs> John Hussey, we'll see you out there, man. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think Philly wins the game. I bet Philly on the money line Sunday night right after the Niners beat the Cowboys, and it was not out of some sort of vengeful spite for San Francisco. I think Philly should be favored close to a field goal in this game, and I think the home field advantage is going to play a factor. The link is not an easy place to play, and now you're asking a rookie quarterback to go in there in the biggest game of the season. And all season long, we've been flying the Eagles flag here. I mean, back in May, we said that the Eagles, to win the division, to win the NFC, to win the Super Bowl, potentially, these things were all on the table because they have the best roster in football. I think that shines through Sunday afternoon. I think the Eagles uh, punch their ticket to the Super Bowl and uh, will be the representative from the NFC. Uh, So the second game, Bengals and the Chiefs, we talked a lot about this game, the Mahomes ankle the Luana Rumo factor with the Bengals defense here. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? The Chiefs, my Michael, have now flipped back to being the favorite. So they were the underdog for a little I bit, went to two the- and a half. Now they're a one point favorite, the total but, 47 and a half. But we knew this coming in, right? We knew this coming in because we felt like, look, it was going to be always about what, what Mahomes did. I wrote about this during the week, right? It was about what mm-hmm. was Mahomes going to look like. When when it push comes to shove, right? So, and I think that that's what the when once once they saw the betting public saw that Mahomes was healthy, I think that's what we're going to get. To me, you know, I I, I I think Kansas City has no one to blame losing to Cincinnati but themselves. You know, I think it's going to be a really close game, but I think they have no one to blame it, it, because they they tend to stall out. I think look, Cincinnati can be really dangerous. Because mm-hmm. they have what what really drives what really drives Kansas City crazy is they have receivers on the outside that can win. Yeah, and Cincinnati and Kansas City is going to play their two if they play their two shell play zone and force Zach Taylor to run the ball. I think that becomes problematic for them. So I, I, I like I like Kansas. I think Kansas City. I, I think Kansas City is just. But there's that Burrow magic that you yeah, just kind man. of you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah. But I I mean I don't know. 
I'm going to go. I'm going to favor that. I mean, to me, I like the two home teams. I know that doesn't really always. Usually, there's one road team that wins. Uh huh. But uh, for me, I I like the two home teams here. This is such a tough game to pick. I think. I mean, because uh, you mentioned it, you have the Burrow magic on the other side, and then you have the best quarterback in the league who has some magic in his own right in Patrick Mahomes. So you don't want to pick against either guy. <laughs> and and here we are. It's funny. I saw some of the Cincinnati Bengals guys. I guess they've been calling it Burrowhead Stadium since the Burrow and the Bengals have had so much success against Kansas City. And I best believe that's made its way back to that Chiefs locker room, I think. I think those guys are going to be highly motivated. They know that this is the team that's been the bugaboo the last three times that they've faced them. I think they want to show Cincinnati that they are the best team in the AFC. If you made me pick it, I think I would actually lean towards Kansas City as well. And I've been skeptical of Kansas I mean, City all season long, but I think this is a good spot for them here. I think this, though, when you look at Kansas City, they're in the top 14 category. My 19 categories, they're in the top 14. So mm-hmm. is Cincinnati. So is Cincinnati. Man, it's a, so it's, it's a, a really game. even game. It's a really even game. I, I think it's a money line play on the game, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't really think the game's going to matter in terms of what the cover. I think whatever team you think can win, and it's hard to go against Burrow. Let's be honest, right? Yes. It's hard to go against Burrow. I mean, Burrow's really good, and so... You know, and, and, and he has a way of making plays. And if Mixon runs the ball, see, the other thing they do a great job of, they do a great job of not allowing Kansas City to have more than nine possessions in the game. Kansas City ran, in the game in, in Cincinnati this year, they only ran 54 plays. In the mm-hmm. playoff game, they only ran 67 plays. That included the three in overtime. In 2021, when they beat them in Cincinnati, they only ran 58 plays. They always seem to, they and the game this year, Cincinnati won the game because their offense controlled the game. They were able to control mm-hmm. the game. So I think to me that's what I see is the difference. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think both games are going to be great. I really do. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun watching these games. Noon is when the game starts between the Niners and the Eagles. That's noon West Coast time. I'm sorry, I'm West Coast bias. So uh, 3 o'clock for you out there on the East Coast, and it's 6.30 Eastern time for the Chiefs and the Bengals, 3.30 out here in Las Vegas. I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but I do think we get Eagles-Chiefs in the Super Bowl. As much as I've doubted Kansas City, I think that they've been the team, and uh, things have broken right for them. And Mahomes, I mean – you can only bet against him for so many times. Like, like this guy is unreal, and he's maybe a little bit compromised with that high ankle sprain. Maybe it's not as bad of an injury we all thought, but that guy is—he's the real deal. And I think he adds—I think he adds, I think he adds to his—he I mean, adds to his legacy. I think. I think the the difference in both games is if San Francisco falls behind, they won't win. If Philly falls behind, they have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. If Cincinnati or Kansas City get a lead or fall behind, either way, that. Both teams could come back. Yep. I think there's a style that San Francisco has to play to win the game. And so for me, because they're limited in that style, I think that makes them have to play. If they play that style, they'll win. If they're able to play that style, they'll win. But if they can't, they can't come back. They're not coming back 14 down. The other the other three teams, I think, could come back. Well, the next time we talk, we will know what the Super Bowl matchup is, which will be February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. That'll be a lot of fun there. But that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos as always. Thank you to DraftKings and VEASAN as well. And thank you to you, Michael. Have fun this weekend watching the game. Thanks, Sammy. You know, make sure that people aren't too rowdy out there uh, by the beach when the Eagles win. And I'll talk to you on Monday.